Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Let's read from 1 Chronicles, chapter 25. David and the chiefs of the service also set apart for the service, the sons of Asaph, and of Heman, and of Jedithan, who prophesied with lyres, with harps, and with cymbals. The list of those who did the work of their duties was, of the sons of Asaph, Zakur, Joseph, Nathaniah, and Asherilah. Sons of Asaph, under the direction of Asaph, who prophesied under the direction of the king. Of Jedithan, the sons of Jedithan, Gedaliah, Zeri, Jesheah, Shimei, Hashabiah, and Mattathiah, six, under the direction of their father Jedithan, who prophesied with the lyre in thanksgiving and praise to Yahweh. Of Heman, the sons of Heman, Bukiah, Mataniah, Uzael, Shabuel, and Jeremoth, Hananiah, Hanani, Eliatha, Gedalti, and Robamti Azer, Josh, Bakasha, Malothi, Hothir, Mahazioth. All these were the sons of Heman, the king's seer, according to the promise of God to exalt him, for God had given Heman fourteen sons and three daughters. They were all under the direction of their father in the music in the house of Yahweh, with cymbals, harps, and lyres for the service of the house of God. Asaph, Jedithan, and Heman were under the order of the king. The number of them, along with their brothers, who were trained in singing to Yahweh, all who were skillful, was 288, and they cast lots for their duties, small and great, teacher and pupil alike. The first lot fell for Asaph according to Joseph, the second to Gedaliah to him and his brothers and his sons twelve, the third to Zakur, his sons and his brothers twelve, the fourth to Isri, his sons and his brothers twelve, the fifth to Nethaniah, his sons and his brothers twelve, the sixth to Bukiah, his sons and his brothers twelve, the seventh to Jesharilah, his sons and his brothers twelve, the eighth to Jesheah, his sons and his brothers twelve, the ninth to Mataniah, his sons and his brothers twelve, the tenth to Shimei, his sons and his brothers twelve, the eleventh to Azarel, his sons and his brothers twelve, the twelfth to Hashabiah, his sons and his brothers twelve, to the thirteenth Shubael, his sons and his brothers twelve, to the fourteenth Mattathiah, his sons and his brothers twelve, to the fifteenth to Jeremoth, his sons and his brothers twelve, to the sixteenth to Hananiah, his sons and his brothers twelve, to the seventeenth to Josh Bakasha, his sons and his brothers twelve, to the eighteenth to Hanani, his sons and his brothers twelve, to the nineteenth to Malothi, his sons and his brothers twelve, to the twentieth to Eliatha, his sons and his brothers twelve, to the twenty-first to Hothir, his sons and his brothers twelve, to the twenty-second to Gedalti, his sons and his brothers twelve, to the twenty-third to Mahazioth, his sons and his brothers twelve, to the twenty-fourth to Ramamte Azer, his sons and his brothers. 12. This is the word of the Lord. So the first thing I want to make note of, having read all of that for you, is the word liar. L-Y-R-E, not L-I-A-R. They sound the same. These men are not prophesying lies before God. They are using a small musical instrument called a lyre. Uh, the lyre is similar to a harp, considered like a harp. 
except for smaller. So a harp is going to be a larger instrument that might have to sit on the lap or even on the floor um, as you play it, whereas the lyre is smaller and handheld, shaped a little differently. But the untrained eye that doesn't know musical instruments, like myself, might look at them and think that a lyre is a harp. So that's the picture there uh, that I did want to pick up on. Make sure that that was clear. I think it was three times it showed up in the paragraph here. All right, so David, as he's setting apart before his death, so he's around 70 years old, his death is imminent, he has made Solomon king, he is appointing the Levites to their various roles of service in the temple his son Solomon is going to build after his death. So, here he continues that setting apart for service. He's already set apart the priestly order, uh, some of the Levites, now he's setting aside the service of the musicians. So we're going to start with the sons of Asaph. Asaph, un under David's service, composed 12 of our psalms, Psalm 50 and then Psalms 73 through 83. And then Heman, mentioned here as well, he composed Psalm 88 for us. And also Jedithan, these are the three main ones in the text. And then we're going to get their family trees. Um, these men are going to become the primary musicians in the Lord's house. So again, they prophesy with lyre, harp, and cymbal. The word prophesy uh, is an intriguing choice in the Old Testament here. To prophesy, typically the way we think of it in the Old Testament, is to hear the word of God from the Lord and to share that word of God with his people. And similarly, then, in the New Testament, when we are told that your sons and daughters shall prophesy, that we are all given to prophesy, it's not that there's like a New Testament prophet role that we're all supposed to be fulfilling, but rather the idea of prophesying is to share God's word. Again, that's a connection to what the Old Testament people did. So, in order for us to make that connection with the word prophesy here, it would... In indicate that the songs that they sing share God's word. And that's one of the two questions that I did want to pick up on in the chapter. I had it a little later in my notes, but having said that, it fits here now. What's the goal of music in worship? Why do we use it? What's the point? What's the purpose? And admittedly, as you go into different groups within Christianity, different Christian denominations, even different styles of worship within a denomination, you will probably receive different answers to that question. There have historically, this, this is a criticism, but it's not false. I mean, not to put a negative spin on today, but historically, in the history of the church, there have been intentional movements by pastors and religious leaders to use music intentionally to manipulate, to intentionally stir up emotional response. And they did so admitting that there was little substance in any of it. Uh, Charles Granderson Finney is one of the, the popular names of that, that movement from really a couple centuries ago, but that's a historical critique. You will have people that emphasize the importance of emotions, uh, of, of feeling in worship. That's not 
the position that you'd hear from me um, for the sake of worship, for the sake of music. The goal of worship, according to Scripture, as we study worship in Scripture, worship is about the forgiveness of sins, which again here in the book of Chronicles is a central concept. It is the worship of God's people, God's people's worship of God. Uh, In worship in the Old Testament, that was sacrifice. You brought your offerings to God in order that you would you would find favor in his sight, that you would bring a bull or an ox or a ram or a goat, and that blood would bring limited amount of forgiveness to you. But in the New Testament era, how does forgiveness come to us? It comes already through what Christ has done. No amount of well anything, uh, no amount of sacrifices we make, no amount of um, emotional uh, feeling, no amount of, of volume to our singing, no amount of anything can bring about and merit forgiveness. It's a free gift. Christ simply gives it. And that is why the, the position that the Lutheran Church has had historically over the years for the goal of music and worship is to give. Our hymns historically teach so that you're being fed. You're being fed with God's word. Uh, You're learning, you're growing in your faith through such things. This is not, and this is going to be the next question really too, this is not to say that different ideas are necessarily wrong. There are different musical styles in the world. You go to Africa and you're going to see a very different style of music than you would see in the United States. And to incorporate people's faith into song is a good thing. The challenge for that, for worship, that I would highlight is the idea that our worship should not look like the world. So even if you want a different musical style from one or another, it should still be holy. When people walk into worship, they should recognize that they have stepped out of the ordinary into something that is truly set apart, holy. That's the goal of music and worship for for us, is to be holy, set apart. And again, for the LCMS's history, uh, the, the goal is to teach. It is to praise God, as we see as well in this text, But one of the best ways we praise God is by doing what he's given us to do, and that's by loving our neighbor and sharing the gospel. So our our songs, our music does that. And that's, I'm picking up all of that simply from this word prophesied with lyres and harps and cymbals. That brings me, though, the other question I was going to ask. How do we choose which instruments we use in worship? It's, again, a family conversation. This is a chance to talk about music in your church as a family. We don't have any of these instruments used in most of our churches, although I guess contemporary-styled churches may have cymbals as part of their drum sets. But you're not going to see a lot of lyres and harps. There are some churches that are considered a cappella churches where they believe that because the New Testament does not give an instruction to worship with instruments, they don't. They only sing. 
with their voice. There's plenty in the Old Testament about music, about instruments in worship. So it's a it's not a distinction that we follow. The organ uh, is historically speaking a fairly new instrument, but the neat part about the organ's history is that it was created for the church. Uniquely, it was actually made for the church to be an instrument for use in worship that would accompany, I think is probably the right word. I'm not a musician, in case you haven't been able to tell. That would accompany the congregation's singing. This is a struggle sometimes because you get those big pipe organs and they blast out the tune so loud that you end up not hearing the congregation. That's not the purpose of the organ. Um, The purpose of the organ is to assist and aid the congregation in singing the hymn. Guitars, drums, and by, by drums, yes, we have drums in contemporary, but I'm also thinking again of Africa. The different instrumentation of different countries, different churches throughout the world. It's not that different instruments are wrong. Again, I would point you to the idea of holiness. If you're going to play a guitar, that's fine. The words should prophesy. The words should speak of Christ and of what he has done for us. We're being fed. If you're going to play, um, I don't know, bongo drums isn't really the right term probably, but again, uh, the word should focus on who God is and what he's done for us. The, the instrument should be there for the sake of encouraging and helping the congregation's song. If the instrument, organ or guitar or drum or whatever, if the instrument is drowning out the voice, that's not helpful. That would be out of place. So how do we choose which instruments we use in worship? Or what instruments do you see as you worship the Lord? I spent most of my time on that idea today because there's not going to be a whole lot in this text that you're going to find otherwise to probably talk about as a family together. We have these men who are lifted up by God to this role. Verse 5, maybe a couple things here. Heman is the king's seer. Uh, The word seer in the Old Testament is interchangeable for prophet. Uh, It appears historically to have been the original term, um, but then they started using the word prophet at some point or another instead, uh, so you still see it every now and again. According to the promise of God to exalt him, This is where I think capitalizing pronouns that refer to God is helpful. Exalt him. Capitalize him. It would be easy in English, I believe, to read that according to the promise of God to exalt Heman. But the literal phrase in the Hebrew is according to the, well, not according to, but the words of God to lift up the horn. So there's actually a musical instrument involved in this verse that's not included in English. And the horn is to be blown, sounded, for the sake of, again, the Lord, praising the Lord. So he he is the one being exalted in this. And then we get the note that God has given to Heman 14 sons and three daughters. The way it's written in ESV, you could easily take it 
the idea that God had promised to somehow raise up, exalt, lift up Heman, and he's now done so by giving him all these children. Now, that's not wrong. I mean, certainly a good thing for the Lord to bless with children. Uh, there are several psalms that talk about that. A quiverful is a, is a wonderful blessing, a gift. They were all under the direction of their father for the music in the house of Yahweh. So Heman led his, his family in worship. Now the number of these skilled musicians comes to 288. They cast lots for their duties to assign to them what they will do, when they will do it. Just like we saw with the priests before, you had 24 groups of priests, and those 24 groups each got about two weeks at a time in the temple serving before the Lord. So it will be with the musicians. 288 divided by 12, 24. 24 groups of these musicians, equal divisions, just like the priests. And they are then in this order of 24, the first being Asaph. Asaph is the only one who does not get followed by the number 12. But the 12 would be necessary for the number to come out to 288. So it's just not included for whatever reason, as the chronicler wrote the text. Um, but mathematically, when we add up all the other ones, you can see that Asaph's group would also be 12. And falls through his second son. Instead of through Zakur, it falls through Joseph. Zakur gets the third lot. So the names that you see in the first paragraph, a lot of repetition as you go down into the second, as these are the various sons. And it will be their, their group of the family tree. So with their, that man with his sons and brothers, his kinsmen, is sometimes the way that phrase ends up being taken. His family tree is going to be that group, that, that time, serving in the Lord's house. But instead of serving with sacrifices, these are serving with the sacrifice of music, the, the work of singing and praising the Lord, and prophesying through it again, including God's word in what they sing. Turn to the Psalms together. Pick a psalm, read it, and see how it speaks of who God is and what God has done for us. That might be a good way to close out a family devotion on today's text.